Well, as, as you can see from the screen, the reading this morning is taken from Acts chapter 1, reading from verses 1 to 8. It's entitled, Jesus Taken Up Into Heaven. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you that we can be here today. Help us to hear your voice as we look at your word today. Open our eyes to the wonders contained within, and by your spirit, I pray, change us and fill us and empower us for your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder, have a look at this picture up on the screen as we uh, think about walking with God. Has anyone here jumped out of a plane and skydived? Who's done it? Just put your hands up. Yes, quite a lot more than eight o'clock congregation. <laughs> there were two of them that had done it, it's worth saying. Um, or I wonder, has anyone been swimming with sharks? Yes. Who chose to? <laughs> well, there you go. Now, I picked those two activities because there's a real sense of apprehension and fear that can grip you on occasions like this. Imagine you're on the uh, boat there and you can see the sharks circling and the call is to actually jump in the water because they're friendly. I was watching a show just the other day where that exact scenario was played out. Or you can imagine the scene, uh, for those who haven't skydived, where you actually are sitting there strapped in You've got the instructor behind you and you are there looking down 10,000 feet wondering what on earth is about to take place. And I was thinking about surfing and uh, I wonder, would you have chosen to go on for a surf on this day if you knew that this creature would be sharing the waves with you? You see, in the air, when you jump out of the plane, you're totally reliant upon the mechanical abilities of the parachute. And if you've got an instructor his physical prowess and wisdom. When you jump in the water, every day I try to, uh, I am trusting that there won't be a shark that comes and shares the waves with me. Now, I've swum with sharks. I remember I used to do some spearfishing a fair bit, and I remember going out and uh, swimming over a nine-foot shark as I, as I entered at uh, south of Oka Point. 
I thought that's enough for me today so I swam around and came back in and the shark thought he'd seen enough close in and he swam out and we met each other again. And let me say I haven't done a lot of spearfishing since then. There's a reality though that if you want to go skydiving, if you want to go in the water, you've actually got to jump in. You cannot surf from a couch. Now there is a thing called couch surfing. It's not the same though, is it? It's uh, landlubbers who lie in front of their TVs. And let me say it's the same for us as Christians. To be a Christian is not someone who's called to just live within a holy bubble and kind of isolate themselves from the world. We're actually called to jump and to jump into the world and to be on mission. Now, we started this series uh, with the door. And if you were here at the start, you remember... We had the door here. It's come back. Every time it comes, something dramatic happens. Well, we've got something special planned for today. And if you were here seven weeks ago, you remember that we invited you to um, go through the doorway, symbolic of being on a journey with God. Two weeks ago, we brought the door back up on the stage and we invited people again to walk through symbolic of the fact that in dependence upon him, we were crying out to God in prayer for wherever we were in our walk with God. Now today, it's actually slightly different. This is going up the back. Because this series finishes on mission. And what's going to happen is, we are all, if you want... invited, commissioned, exhorted to actually walk out of church symbolic of the fact that we're on mission. Now, I won't give you a sore neck by preaching from this side of church, but unlike every other Sunday, I'm not going to invite you out in the courtyard. You can go there afterwards if you want. And the children's ministry would appreciate if you pick your kids up. And not at 12.30. But we're actually finishing this series by walking out of the building. Symbolic of the fact that actually that's where our mission is. In the world. And that's where we're called to go. There's no doubt there is a fear when you jump out of a plane. And there's no doubt that there is a fear that's very real to seek to be a living witness to the Lord Jesus Christ as you go out every day in the world. But that's actually what we're called to in walking with God. Walking with God is a journey of faith where our Heavenly Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, calls us home. And we are called home to a wonderful home in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And every day we walk on this journey with him, it's a walk of worship where we give our hearts, not to the things of this world, but we give our heart to God. And we worship him and him alone. And we do this journey together as his people. We walk in relationship. It's very significant that we actually come and gather here every Sunday. As Scott said, it's one of those things you just put on autopilot. I will be here on Sunday to worship. 
because we need that encouragement. We actually have to have fellowship to keep going. It encourages us, we encourage each other and we worship God and we learn. And we walk with joy, content in this world, not greedy for the things that the world wants but actually content in Christ that we have everything in him. It fills our hearts with joy. We walk in dependence. We actually can pray every day as we set out each day to serve him. And we walk in the light, we walk in holiness. But we walk out to the world on mission. And the verse I've got for us, it's just one verse which I want to expound today. It's from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And if you've got your Bibles there, turn up page 1090 uh, from the Bibles and the pews. We're going to have a look at a couple of verses in the book of Acts this morning. But let me read it to you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, one of the things you need to do when you read verses in Scripture is set it into context to understand what is this verse saying within the context of the passage the book, all of Scripture. And what I want to do is not put it just in the context of Luke's work in terms of the book of Acts, but set it in the context of all of Scripture because from Genesis to Revelation, there's actually a storyline, a narrative which connects the whole story. And the Bible, I'm sure you're aware, has two halves. There's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. And the context for this verse is it kind of comes in the middle at a very significant historical turning point between the two testaments. Now, if you think about the two testaments through the lens of God's people, and that's what I want us to think about this morning, when you're in the Old Testament and you think about the people of God, you're thinking about Israel. They were a nation that was called to belong to God. Their forefather was Abraham. From Abraham came the 12 tribes. Then came the nation Israel. And that nation Israel was gathered to a land geographically, which is in the Middle East, it's Israel. And the story of the first half of the Old Testament is their journey into the land. They're gathered there. And when things were going well, they were safe within the protected borders. And their experience of God was, you could say, a mediated experience. God dwelt there by his spirit, but it was in the temple. And so you would come to the temple to meet with God. That's where the presence of God was. And when you thought about the Spirit of God at work, well, he was someone who dwelt on special people. There were anointed ones. And to be an anointed one is a Messiah, and it literally means you're anointed with oil, but you were anointed spiritually by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God would come on people in power to perform special tasks. Typically, uh, kings and leaders or prophets... And their priests had this, if I can say, special anointing. And so they were set apart. But the regular people, if I can say, like us, weren't. And so your experience of the Spirit was mediated through these other people and through the temple. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the people of God are defined differently. It's not a nation anymore. It's a people that relationally belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust him and his death and resurrection and we call him Lord. He is our Lord and Saviour. 
And unlike Israel that are gathered to one place geographically, actually it's the complete opposite. The people of Jesus actually are scattered to the world. And there's two parts in the Gospels that talk about this. Matthew, Jesus sends them out to the world. Go and make disciples. Here, he says, you're to be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. In other words, you're going to go. You're scattered everywhere. And the story of Acts is in many ways the story of the scattering of God's people. And they scatter from Jerusalem, they go to Judea, uh, they go to Samaria, they go to Caesarea, they end up in Greece, Turkey, North Africa, they end up in Rome. And the mission goes on. But unlike Israel, they were not safe. In fact, the exact opposite. As you read the story of the church, they're opposed. They're persecuted. Some are even killed. And yet the remarkable thing is, Israel in the Old Testament failed. It was a complete failure, you might say, from a human point of view. They were lost in idolatry and unbelief. And God eventually kicked them out of their land in judgment. But yet in the New Testament, no physical land, no physical temple, no priests... Just Jesus and the Spirit of God. And the world of that day was one for Christ. They had religious leaders who opposed them. They had secular rulers who opposed them. They had no great money, no great support, no great land endowments. Only 120 to start with, no grand planned or tactical playbook. They simply worshipped, prayed, loved people and preached the gospel without fear, without favour. And within three centuries, the whole Roman Empire was overturned. And you see, there were two world-changing events that are recorded in Scripture that are the hinge for the beginning of this movement. From the people of God being, if I can say, failed and judged to them going out with nothing but the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. And you see, the two world-changing events that the Bible records are firstly the life, death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in particular, the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is when history changed. You see, the day when Jesus died was the day when sin was atoned for. It's the day when sin was forgiven. It's the day when mercy flowed to sinners and broken people like us. And the day when Jesus rose from the dead was the day when death was defeated and Satan was defeated. It's one of the most wonderful days in the Christian calendar, isn't it not, Easter Sunday? Filled with joy as we rejoice that death itself has been overcome. A new era has begun. The King has come, the risen Lord Jesus. And the gospel would be preached in his name, announcing a new day to all the world. But yet, that was not enough. Because you read in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him. Lord, when is this going to happen? And in verse 8 he says, But you will be my witnesses when you receive power and when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You see, Pentecost was the day, the second great day when the world changed. The first day was when Jesus, if I can put three days together as one, when Jesus died and rose from the grave. The second great event in history was when the Spirit of God was poured out upon his people on the day of Pentecost. And we must not underestimate the significance of the day of Pentecost. It is a history-shaking, making moment. We also must not separate it from the day when Jesus died and rose again. They go together. You see, because it's the spirit of the risen Christ who was poured out on that day. And if you've got your Bibles, have a look at Acts chapter 2. And I'll read to you the beginning of the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came upon the heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. It was a very significant day. And after that day, the disciples went out and with extraordinary power proclaimed the word of God. And when you read through the book of Acts, and it's worth reading through from Acts chapter 1 to Acts 28 in one sitting. And if you've never done it, read it through. One of the observations that I think you cannot avoid making is this. You cannot explain the book of Acts from a human point of view. That somehow this group of followers of Jesus had such a dynamic magnetism about them, uh, such power within them, such strategy and human capacity that they could overturn the Roman Empire, that they could thwart the kings of the day, that thousands would follow them. It's actually not humanly possible to explain the book of Acts. And let me just say, as a church, if you can explain everything that happens purely from a human point of view, it is a bit of a worry. Because you see, what took place in the book of Acts is supernatural. In the sense that these were ordinary men and women. Before the day of Pentecost, before they'd received power, they were very feeble men and women. I mean, the Apostle Peter is recorded for us to show us the weakness and the failings of the disciples. He denied Jesus at his greatest moment of need. They couldn't even stay awake for the prayer meeting the night before he died. They're hidden away the night after he died. And then Jesus rose from the grave and there's this new sense of life and courage But yet Jesus said, actually, there's one thing more you need. It's the Holy Spirit and the power that he brings. Israel couldn't stop 
this movement of Jesus followers. They tried their best. There was even a Pharisee named Saul who would round people up and put them in jail for following Jesus. He even killed some. And what did God do with him? Had mercy on him and turned him into the greatest advocate for the Christian faith. There was a king, Herod. He thought it was fun to persecute them and behead them. What happened to him? Killed by worms. Acts 12. Because he did not give glory to God. He was struck down. And when you get to the end of the book of Acts, you have these words recorded. This is the end of the story. Sorry to spoil it for those who have not read it. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. Now, take note, this is Paul the Pharisee, the guy who was the chief protagonist against the Christian faith. He is now the chief preacher of the Christian faith. He's there in his own rented house, welcoming all who came to see him, And he's proclaiming the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and the closing words of these without hindrance. You see, the death, the resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit of God are the events that have changed the world because they have fueled the people of God and given them a power to witness that no one and no thing has ever been able to come. Now, it's come at great cost. I believe there's more people killed for their faith in the 20th century than all the centuries preceding it. And it is still taking place today. But there is a power that flowed from Pentecost. Let me just say a couple of words about Pentecost. Pentecost was an initial event that I believe is never to be repeated in the sense of it was a unique day in the history of the church a one-off day the holy spirit descended on the disciples with tongues of fire the sound of wind and everyone speaking in different tongues and the different tongues that were spoken of there are literally the languages of the nations because you see the nations would gather every year at the pentecost festival the scattered jews who now spoke other languages from the nations around they came in for this festival and peter and John and the other apostles, they stand up and they're literally speaking in their languages. It'd be like us going out into the Corso and speaking Chinese and Korean and Russian and German and Brazilian and you name it. It is a unique day. And I don't think we should look back to Pentecost saying we need Pentecost today. But I do want to say this, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that began that day is still happening today. In other words, to think that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is complete, I think, is false. You see, the outpouring of God's Spirit will continue to occur until the last day when the Lord Jesus returns. And the whole New Testament insists that without the constant filling and outpouring of the Spirit of God upon our lives, we will not have the power to be His witnesses. We will not have the grace to love Him. We will not have the internal work of the Spirit to help us say no to sin. We will not know the truth from Holy Scripture and be led into it. You see, Pentecost remains the source of power. It remains the source of life. It remains the source of truth and witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you read through the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, if I can say, doesn't like to be in the limelight. Because his role is to actually shine the light on Jesus. 
But in the background, you see the apostles writing about the Spirit of God in these kind of ways. Firstly, he helps us experience the reality of grace. You cannot be a Christian without the work of the Spirit of God in your life to open your eyes and receive Christ as Lord and Saviour. Let me read from Titus. When the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. In other words, when people come to faith, it's a work of God. It's a work of his Spirit. Secondly, the Holy Spirit fills us with God's love. When we receive Christ through the work of the Spirit as we trust in him, he actually fills our hearts with love. Romans says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given to us. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual life. He helps us to say no to sin and yes to Christ. Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And lastly, and on topic for today, he gives us power to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And one of the great examples of that is in the book of Acts. When after being opposed for their faith, and it's fascinating the phrase, they looked at these guys and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men and they're astonished and they try to shut them up and they come back and all the disciples pray and it's recorded that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. And it's worth recognizing these are people who had already been filled with the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost, but it's recorded they are filled again. In other words, uh, there is a constant action of the Spirit of God after we've received Him to give us strength and power and love and joy to serve Him. That's why Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, don't fill up on alcohol, fill up on the Spirit, be filled. And it's actually a command corporately to all of us in an ongoing sense. And so what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament people of God? Well, firstly, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. His coming has changed the world. But secondly, it's the gift of His Spirit. You see, we are lost without Christ. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is what? Sinking sand. But we are powerless without the Spirit of God. And that's why Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Wait. Wait until that happens. And then go and be my witnesses. Let me give you two examples personally to finish. My great fear before I became a Christian was this. As an 18, 19-year-old, 16, 17-year-old, was what would people think of me if I became one of them? A God-botherer, a Jesus person. It didn't seem the most alluring tag. I used to play in the rugby team and basketball and hung out with those kind of characters and to be a Christian was not looked upon that well, to put it mildly. And so my great fear is, was, what would people think of me? Now the great surprise for me was this, that when I actually bowed my knee to the Lord Jesus and gave my life to Him, His Spirit entered my life that day. 
And those fears were just washed away. And I really didn't care what people thought. Now, it's not that I haven't faced fear or opposition. Yes, I have. And there is an intimidating nature to living and working in the world. And I've worked in engineer, as an engineer in secular workplaces. And I've known the ridicule. But at the end of the day, I really didn't care what people thought of me. Because, you see, I was so excited about Jesus. And I wanted people to know the good news of eternal life and forgiveness of sins that comes through him. And so in my life of walking with God, both as a minister, but I want to say importantly, before being a minister, it's not because I'm a minister, it's because I'm a follower of Christ. I've known the reality of the Spirit of God at work, giving me confidence and boldness to speak and serve people. I remember being down in a workshed filled with engineers down at Marimbula as we put the dam in. And I had a fish sticker on my car. And the guy came in and said, is that your car? Are you a Christian? And everyone just goes silent in the office. And this is my first day at work. And I said, yes, I am. I was trembling a bit, but I thought, I'm going to tell you because I'm very happy about it. I'll tell you about a man who was converted in my last parish, Dr. Carey Freeth. He was a physicist. Now, this was his interest in the Christian faith. He said to me once, having been at church for about five years, his wife would drag me along, and he stopped coming. He said, I actually find it more enjoyable to mow the lawn on a hot summer's day at 12 o'clock when it's 30 degrees than come and listen to your sermons, Bruce. Now, I must say, I hope you don't think that as well. But he did say, this was the one saving grace. He said, actually, it's not Bruce, it's the whole preaching staff. His wife dragged him along to hear an evangelist, not because his wife thought he would get converted, because the wife was going to be involved with some counselling. And he want, she wanted to see what was going to happen. So he said, Kerry, you're coming. Yes, coming. And he went along. And the last thing she thought was that Kerry would be converted. He'd tried different religions. He was somewhere between agnostic and atheist. And the preacher gave an invitation to come forward and give your life to Christ. And lo and behold, I nearly fell off my seat. There was Kerry Freeth in the front row giving his life to Christ. We started some follow-up Bible studies and he joined the group. And the week I taught on the Holy Spirit, I said he's like a light that gets switched on so that we can see after we've been standing in the darkness. And Carey, in front of this group of people, almost jumped out of his seat and he stood up in front. He said, that's what's happened to me. He said, the light's gone on. Okay, that's good, Carey. <laughs> And he was so excited, he said, you know what, I can see now. I used to be in the darkness. And he said, I love reading the Word. It's just, uh, I can't understand. It never made any sense before. It makes sense now. And you see, this is the power of the Spirit. It helps us understand the Word of God and understand Christ. We experience the reality of our sins forgiven. We are given a love that is uncommon so that we can love our enemies and we can welcome in those who are opposed to us and we can share with joy the wonder of the gospel. Friends, we're on mission every day and every day we have to go out the front door to wherever we work and live and shine and speak for the Lord Jesus, whether it's the chairperson of a board or a cleaner at a local school, 
whether it's in politics or education or the arts or construction or finance. Wherever it is, it may be the armed forces. We are called to go and to scatter and to bring the light of the gospel and the love of Christ and to live his grace. It's why those three words are on the front of the church, love, truth, grace. That's what we're to be doing every day. And so friends, I want to invite us today to do two things, to pray with me for the Spirit to fill us so that we would have that power and join me in walking out. You never thought you'd hear that, the minister telling you to get out of church. We're all going to get out together. And so what's going to happen is this, I'm going to stop and pray for us now. And I'm praying, and I've been praying, that the Spirit of God would fill us. We're then going to sing a final song. And if during that singing, for whatever reason, you need some special prayer, as we've done the whole series, I'd love you to come down the front. Our prayer team would love to pray for you before we leave. But then I'm going to lead us out, and I actually, myself and Scott, are going to pray for every single person who walks through that door. Very simple prayer, that the Spirit of God will fill you with power to be Jesus' witness in the world. So that's my invitation. I've said, come and join me on this walk with God. I've said, come and join in praying. And now I'm saying, come and join on mission. Let's be quiet for a moment. Just bow our heads. I'm just going to leave a moment. You might have a prayer that you want to pray just yourself to God at this time and this moment. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let me pray. Spirit of the living God, I pray fall afresh on us this day. Fill us with a knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. May we know his grace personally at work in our lives. Fill us with your love so that we are strengthened to love others. Fill us with your power so that we can live in a way that honours you. And fill us with your power so that we can proclaim and share and testify to Jesus and his gospel. Be with us as we walk out into the world this day and every day on mission. In Jesus' name, amen.